Hello, everyone. Uh, this is the Differential Podcast here with myself, AB, and I've got my co-host with me, Dr. JP. How's it going, mate? Hey, hey, AB. How's it going? I'm pretty good. So today uh, we're going to be talking about um, The Witcher Netflix Series 2. Um show review i guess it's not technically a movie but uh that's what we're going to be talking about today uh jp and i have been watching the series over the last month give or take and we finally just wrapped up i think um jp you watched it last you finished it up last week mate and i've finished watching it just after you yeah i think last week it's all been a blur holiday you know holiday (laughs) season can't remember much uh yeah, so, um, okay, so let's just uh, dive right into it. And of course, before we go ahead, just want to announce that this is this is not going to be a spoiler-free review. So, spoilers ahead. You've been warned. Let's yeah. do this. All right. So, mate, um, JP, tell me about how you got into The Witcher. Are you a casual fan? Are you Did you get into it through the games, or did you just log into it from netflix yeah i'm a super casual fan i know nothing about the books um next to nothing and yeah i do know the games exist i think um i tried to play it uh one time didn't really get into it i hear it's a great game so i should probably give it another shot but i did know of the game and then i heard that you know they're going to make a netflix series out of it and i usually I'm a pretty big fan of anything medieval fantasy. You know, I love Game of Thrones, <laughs> love Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, I've been watching Wheel of Time as well. So this seemed like the natural thing to get into. And yeah, season one was, I thought season one was okay. Yeah. Um, I thought it could have been a bit, bit better, certain things here or there. But then season two, which we've recently finished. And my overall impression is that season two was much better than season one. And I really, really enjoyed it. What about you? Um, I I came to know about The Witcher through um, The Witcher 2 game, I believe it was called The Assassin of Kings or something like that. Um, I I played until I played it until a fair bit. Um, I do enjoy the odd RPG sometimes, but it has to like it has to play a little bit crisply. I just felt like um, that game in particular just it's just a lot of like lore and lot of like cutscenes and you know it just it just didn't play as crisply as i wanted it was a little floaty in certain areas so i kind of gave up on it mostly due to time constraints and what have you but um yeah i kind of i kind of like was surprised that they decided to do a witcher show and i was actually really surprised they managed to get um you know henry cavill to do it uh, but in hindsight, after watching season two, I think he just kind of seamlessly gets into the Geralt of Rivia character. And um, I think, JP, you mentioned this to me, mate, about um, Henry Cavill's uh, geek side. Uh, yeah, he's a huge geek. And lightness a little bit about that one. Yeah. Which I didn't know about actually before this, um, yeah. before kind of looking into The Witcher. He's a massive geek. He plays, he's read all the books, apparently. So he actually specifically specifically went out and uh, auditioned for this role, really wanting and knowing the character, and having pl- he's also played the games. He not only The Witcher, he's also 
played World of Warcraft. He's played um, Warhammer, and he also does like um, like painting Warhammer uh, miniatures or whatever. And yeah, I've seen a couple of his interviews on The Witcher, and he's always talking about how much he loves the character, how much he loves the books. And he wants to, he, and he goes on to say that he really wants to stay true to the original source material, which is great. So overall, he does seem like the perfect actor to to be you know, doing this role, which is, and he's done a great job in my opinion. Yeah. And I, I think it's really good for um, stars not to be pretentious. I mean, Henry Cavill doesn't come across like a very pretentious guy. He just accepts his geekdom, you know, like um, I, I kind of en- embrace my geek side whenever, um, you know, the opportunity presents itself. So it's, it's kind of cool to see that as well. It just makes him more so- accessible and amenable to his fans. I got I got to add one thing here. Like I've yeah. so watched a couple of his interviews, uh, these you know these Hollywood interviews where oh, uh they're, you know, uh, fawning to the actors and stuff. So mm-hmm. he'll bring up he inevitably brings up that he's a geek and he's not afraid to talk about it, which is great. Great, yeah. But the interview always gets awkward and they like all these people, they're not used to this, so they're like silent or not saying anything <laughs> or looking weird. Because normally, I guess gamers don't have the best reputation out there. I don't know why, but um, a lot of people game. Uh, but it, it gets super awkward uh, when he's talking about this. And it's yeah. it's hilarious for me. I'm like, wow. Because none of this ever comes up. And and those of you out there who say they, they don't game or have never gamed a day in their life are lying. Yeah, I mean, everybody's played something or the other, right? And yeah, it's a fun, it's a good time pass. And, uh, and actually, it's better for you cognitively, as opposed to even though we're going to talk about watching a TV show it's better for you than just, you know, mindlessly watching, uh, watching TV. <laughs> There's worse things, mate, than, um, than gaming. Hashtag reality TV. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, power to him, mate. Like he's he's done a great job. I know he he gets a lot of flack for um for Superman and all that bullshit, um and sometimes rightly so, uh, because I've seen I've seen this way too many times where you have good actors getting terrible scripts, and the plan not going according to what. Wait, they wait, want. wait! You're telling me you didn't love that CGI mustache? Oh, mate! If or not they, lack thereof. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me. All they needed to do to make stupid Batman v Superman a success was to not CGI away that mustache. Because I will fight anybody to the ends of the earth saying, listen, man, that mustache from Mission Impossible 6 Fallout was absolutely on point. Fight me on this. That was amazing. Yeah, that's that was fine, the best part like, of the whole movie. <laughs> that's fine. But like, do you really want to see a mustache... Um you know twirling superman that's a bit I ridiculous say it has to be mustache twirling just you know keep it like why do we need to like get rid of it wait it wasn't batman v superman it was league uh it was justice league wasn't it i don't know uh, yeah, yeah, all was, of those were justice terrible <laughs> come on man we get a superman in a black suit with a mustache how amazing could that have been in, in fact I'm, I'm going to go one better i'm gonna say the Witcher should have had a mustache this season too. That would that would no been, no absolutely yes. Please. Terrible. Don't, if the Witcher mate, folks are listening, do not ignore mate, this advice. Mate, look at Vesemir. Vesemir has a great mustache. He's got okay, a handlebar. Uh, yeah, okay. Vesemir, it suits him. But like, uh, that's he never had a mustache <laughs> in the books or in the he in the game. In the games, come on. Oh, beard. Okay, beard. Three. To me, beard and mustache are two different things. 
what's so bad about just having a mustache, a, a big fuck off juicy mustache from the 70s? There's nothing exactly wrong with that is. as long as it fits your character. That's fine. It's fine, huh? It's okay. fine. S- can, can S- send away. in that recommendation. Let's see what happens. Yeah, let us know, guys. Like, okay, I'm not being silly. I'm genuinely being like earnest and saying, could could that have been a good you know option to have like a witcher with a big fuck off mustache you know aussie style so, oh my god i don't even <laughs> want to think about this all right all right let's let, yeah. let's get back on topic here yeah man um so yeah season two um all right so give us uh jp give us your uh your, your take on, on on the story for season two and um what your general impression was of um what you what you watched yeah so season two kind of picks off uh or starts back up from right for where season season one kind of ended that big battle that happens um yeah yeah and um so we kind of pick up from there and we see that um yennefer has been captured uh by um by a crew of nilfgaard um Mm -hmm. survivors and frigella her maid's counterpart is kind of holding her hostage and taking her back, uh, trying to take her back to Nilfgaard, I believe. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. she's so we see it from two parts, though. We see the the one where Fringilla and the Nilfgaardians have um, Yennefer, but the other side actually thinks she's dead. So Geralt and everybody associated right. with um, um, the the mages um, they fear they fear Yennefer has died. Um, having consumed too much of magic or actually using fire magic as it were. Uh, so it's thought she kind of died in the battle. So, right. And what happens is what actually happens is that she stays alive. She's alive, but she actually loses her powers. Mm-hmm. So if I'm understanding in this world, fire magic is a very special thing and it's forbidden basically by the mage order to use yeah. it. And if you do end up using it, it can lead to these, um, you know, unexpected effects where in yep. this case, um, uh, she loses uh, her abilities. And I think in this world, uh, the magic itself is described as uh, chaos. Yes, that's right. That's right. actually a cool way of uh, putting a different spin on the whole age old, you know, oh, my gosh, it's magic. How did you do this? It's magic. It's chaos. I kind of like that. It has a sinister yeah. feel attached to it. Yeah, and then you gotta try to find a way to control that chaos, right? Yeah. So that that's kind of the starting point of the season, mm-hmm. and um, I think eventually what happens is that they uh, we are introduced to a new faction um, called the Elves. Um, so these are basically a, you know a race mm-hmm. of people that have been on this uh, in this world called the continent even before the humans arrived. Yep. So they're, I think, together with the gnomes and the dwarfs, they're the, they're known as the elder races. Um, yep. And they were here uh, before the humans. And once the humans arrived, they kind of pushed out uh, all these previous races and took over and established all their kingdoms, yep. like the Nilfgaard, all the northern kingdoms, which, whose names I can't remember because um, <laughs> there are way too many of them. It's just Nilfgaard and the other side, right? I just call them the Northern Northern Kingdoms. kingdoms. Fair enough, mate. Yeah. So I think it's kind of implied like they're uh, the elder races are kind of like the 
indigenous or the aboriginal population of the continent which is kind of again a cool spin or a cool take on uh modern themes so i i see them doing a lot of that where you know you have these like um allegories worked into a fantasy world where you know you have persecution of an elder race or like an aboriginal race which which we talk about all the time now in um in in pop culture or not pop culture but like in general culture and current events so you know you can you can associate with it and i think it just adds that layer of authenticity to the franchise yeah i wanted that's an interesting point i want to mention one thing so uh, yep. doing a bit of research uh, on the author and Supposedly, these books. This the author is like a Polish author. Yeah. Um, so supposedly, these books are kind of an allegory on post um, post war Eastern Europe, like during the Cold War era. Okay. Um, wow. So right. there's some themes, etc., uh, from uh, from that uh, that time in that region. So that was interesting to to learn about. Yep. And so we find out that. Um, most of this season revolves around um, Princess Cyrilla um, of uh, Synthra, I believe is the name. Um, and Siri is uh, what her nickname ends up, um, what she ends up being called by everybody. Um, and yeah, she becomes a central character to season two. So it's mostly the season revolves around all these different factions. So you have the elves, you have the Nilfgaardians, you have the Northern Kingdoms, you actually even have the Witchers, and um, the main antagonist of season two, all kind of vying for Ciri because she becomes sort of like this key character um, who can turn the balance of uh, every faction that lays claim to her. So it kind of becomes like this interesting tug of war from about five or six sides. And Geralt is sort of like... Um, the, the surrogate father figure so he's entrusted he's been entrusted with her guardianship and um interesting so you know i mean season one we see Geralt as a bit of a loner you know kind of takes kind of like a mercenary for lack of a better word and then suddenly we have this sort of like transformation to an unlikely father figure you know because Geralt isn't like doesn't come across as the most well-adjusted person, you know? So. Well, I mean, witchers are mercenaries, right? They go around killing monsters for yeah. coin, which is basically being a mercenary. And he never, he's a very reluctant um, kind of yeah. protector of, of Siri. He never really wanted this role. He just, it just got um, kind of put yeah. upon him, but now he really understand they bonded. Yeah. They bond throughout the season and he really understands why she's so special. And, you know, he's, he essentially takes her under his wing and he wants to train mm -hmm. her and, you know, to get her ready for the oncoming onslaught that she's going to face. Because yeah. seemingly everybody and their mother is after her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think you mentioned uh, the main antagonist of the of this season. Yes. So maybe let's let's, let's get, get into, into that. that. Absolutely. I've been waiting for this one. <laughs> yeah. So the main antagonist. So what, what we see uh, come out is that uh, Francesca, which is the leader of the elves, Yennefer and Fragella, they go they find some sort of tomb um, and they so well it happens when they get captured by the elves because they kind of wander in from the world. yeah yeah They're yeah kind so of like, you know, when they come together yeah. yeah a wall after the battle and they get captured by a traveling band of elves and 
Francesca, the leader of the elves, leads them into this tomb because she's following visions of some prophecy. Yeah, by the way, people. let's add one more thing here, mm -hmm. one more piece of context. The elves, uh, again, elder right. race, one thing to add is that they are pretty much being destroyed and they've ha they haven't had a true-born elf um, child in, in, yeah. in years or ages or whatever it is. Yeah, a decade, I think. Um, so that's what she's after. So all, th all three of these women are after something, something specific. Yeah. Um, um, so Yennefer is after, uh, she wants to get her power back, her chaos back. Mm -hmm. Um, Francesca wants to have a child, uh, a true elven child. And then Fragilla wants to become, wants to prove herself to the leader of, uh, Nilfgaard. Right. Um, so that's what she, cause I mean, she just, uh, oversaw defeat. So she wants to find a way to get back into the good books of, uh, the leader of Nilfgaard. Which we don't know as of yet, by the way. It's just that it's just referred to as the king or the emir or something, right? Yeah. Uh. Well, that's his name. They call him the emir. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's just call him the king of Nif emperor of Nif. It's emperor of Nilfgaard. Okay. Fair enough. Um. Yeah. So that's that's uh, Fragilla's motivation. So all three of these women have some sort of motivation. Um. Right. Thing that they're aiming for in this in this season. And then they go to this uh, whatever tomb right. area, and right? It ends up becoming a portal to a weird forest. Um, it leads to a forest in the night or something, and yeah. there's a hut. And um, yeah, mate, um, really interesting things start to happen. Um, by the way, just 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 before I move a little uh, for uh, a little bit further, I just want to point out that uh, it's a very um, Jews analogy, uh, like a Jews in the desert kind of folklore, you know, the whole um, the 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 historical persecution of the Jew, of the Jewish people. You mean um, the elves? The elves are, yeah. yeah. I think it's very allegorical to that particular um, historical narrative, and you know, it, I think I think it also makes sense in a post-war sense, you know, um, Israel and everything. So. Yeah, so they end up um, Fringilla, uh, Yennefer, and uh, Francesca end up finding themselves um, in this weird forest with this hut on chicken legs. Um, I mean, obviously, actually, it's played. it's yeah. not uh, it's not chicken legs in, in this. Oh, it's yeah, like reptile legs or something. It's a basilisk, 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 basilisk yeah, uh, yeah. legs in legs. this case. But yeah, I do see. Yeah, go on, go finish your reference though. I was just gonna say, like, if anybody's played a, you know, the recent Tomb Raider game, or if you've had any contact with um, Russian folklore, you know, it's just it's been very prom prominent these days. But obviously, they're reference it's a Baba Yaga reference. The um, well-known russian um you know so children's tale yeah so apparently it's not just russian it's um i think it's just a whole slavic uh yeah tale or called it's part of the slavic culture so maybe I'm, I'm not sure if it's just russian yeah maybe our listeners can chime in if uh if they heard like you know tales of it outside the former ussr or russia um currently you know so reach out to us, let us know, because uh, it's fascinating to know how these things kind of like they're adopted by one country or one region and then they're made popular, but other versions of it do exist elsewhere in the world. So we'd be very interested to know about that. But yeah, so 
we're introduced to the main antagonist uh, called Voltaith Mir, our deathless mother, I believe, which I just thought is a fantastic name. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a <laughs> and, cool name. And, it's, and she's absolutely all-powerful and very, very manipulative and extremely creepy. Like, I, that's that, that the whole mindfuck sequence with Francesca, Fringilla, and Yennefer each being confronted with what they want the most. So basically, the Deathless Mother is sort of like coercing them to make a deal with the devil, a pact. Um, for to what end? In initially, we do not know, but that's what the the game is, and um, it's interest is interesting to see her trying to trick slash tempt them with these offers. So yeah. you know, they do a great job with the opening episode, mate. Like they lay out the motivations and what's going to come to pass in the stories. Uh, in in sorry in the uh, subsequent episodes I should say, and um, I thought I thought it was a much tighter uh, season like in terms of its scripting like the story didn't jump around all over the place like it did in season one where you know it was kind of hard to follow all these new names and factions and yeah know, especially to... if you're coming in brand new as yeah. a total casual not not having played the games mm-hmm. or read the books it, it it got very confusing in in season yeah. one. Right. Yeah. It's much, much more straightforward in in this season. Yeah. No. And um, yeah, I really, um, I really liked how they handled it. I mean, it just, I just felt like they had so many more good ideas for this season. Like, I, I really have to say, the budget and the, the, the production cost seems so much higher in general. Uh, it didn't seem like they spent all their money. Um, hiring good actors for this, you know, that which was the case in season one. I thought the cast kind of carried the show more than the environments and the CG and everything. But this time around, mate, I think the budget went around really well. Obviously, it has uh, everything to do with the success of the games and the first season of um, The Witcher. But it just looked like a better finished product, didn't it? More coherent as well. Yeah, it did uh, definitely... Uh, more expansive uh, yeah mm-hmm. seemed like they're they're showing us more of the world yeah um, the yeah on, on um, the good cgi let's let's talk about that um, oh, episode yeah. where they um, they meet gerald's old friend um, what's his name neru chelan um nivellen nivellen uh yeah. the the man with the boar the boar face yeah um, it's um it's it's our friend um from Game of Thrones, uh, I Tormund Wolfsbane, the actor, yeah, the actor. I, I can't remember the actor's name right now, but uh, it'll come to me. He's just known as Tormund to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he did a great job, yeah, great, awesome. great acting, loved it. Um, the CGI was incredible. Uh, it wasn't off-putting. Yeah, you know, we've done, we've talked previously about how Hollywood gets CGI totally wrong these days. Mm. I think this was a great example of good CGI that really, really worked, uh, and it really made. Uh, this uh, this whole scene play out uh, quite uh, quite brilliantly. Oh, absolutely! I mean, um, I am very very hard on on CGI, and um, you know, we I think <laughs> I think we we kind of let some of that slip in the last uh, one of our last little podcast clips. But um, I thought the the CG on uh, Nivellen was amazing, mate. Like um, I usually don't toss this word around casually, but. I think the way they animated the facial features and stuff um, was was really well done because every time he was on screen, 
I could see the light in his eyes. Like it looked like maybe he was wearing prosthesis and they animated the prosthesis in post-production or something, but you could see the actor's eyes through the mask. And, it, and you know, I kept thinking, um, I kept guessing. I didn't know it was um, the actor that plays Tormund from Game of Thrones, but I was just like, it seems familiar. I, I think I know this person from somewhere. And that's a hard thing to do when you completely CGI the character. Yeah. So, I mean, massive props. Um, the same goes for all the other villains. I think maybe it was just um, the flying um, basilisk. I, I don't know if, if that's what that creature was called. It made a little appearance, It I think, at the end of Brookser. It was called the Brookser. No, not the Brookser, mate. The... Um, the big black flying dragon that comes out of the oh later later okay i thought you meant like with um nivellen oh my with nivellen uh the brooks i was amazingly portrayed by um the actress who got i I don't remember her name but like she did a fantastic job like her movements her general demeanor was so creepy i actually got flashbacks to um uh van helsing she kind of reminded me a little bit of movements of Dracula's Brides from that movie like it had a very Dracula-esque aesthetic uh, well Van Helsing-esque aesthetic I should say um, Van Helsing in, from 2004 with uh, Hugh Jackman and Kay Beckinsale um, uh, you know a decent 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 movie to watch it's it's a fun popcorn flick a guilty pleasure if you will but um, yeah mate like some of the character uh, the the villains that they designed through CG. And this was absolutely spot on. I think maybe at the end, they were a little stretched with um, the main, the final battle of season two and, and the Witcher's Keep. Maybe some of that wasn't the best CGI in the series, a little bit on the weaker side. But um, I think... Mm, yeah, I didn't get that impression. I thought it was pretty good still. Yeah, um, I mean, um, I, I think one of the, also the other great... Uh, animated villains that they made this season was um, the Leshy, especially um, Eskel, one of the other witchers who gets infected by this like um, tree-like creature in the forest. He 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 claims he's killed the Leshy. Well, he claims he's severely injured the Leshy and hasn't taken any damage from the fight when we foresee him, but he's actually been stung by the Leshy and he's hiding the wound. He's infected and he turns into one of the Leshy's like you know minions if you will and there's a great fight sequence with him and it's exceedingly well animated so you know i mean yeah and cg that is uh i think is a mixture of cg cgi and um and prosthesis uh, prosthetics prosthetics you think so um yeah because i i did see some behind the scenes footage where they're putting makeup on him um to his face so that that's definitely a mix there which i imagine they did yeah. yeah Probably they did the same thing with um, with, with the Nivellan. boar, yeah, yeah, with the Novellan thing. Uh, one one thing to add for Novellan, getting beyond the CGI aspect, during that episode they had an overall theme where they talked about, which is actually supposedly a theme that gets that gets brought up quite often in the Witcher books. Mm. Is this um, this idea that who is the real monster? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Right? So that was very interesting because we always assume you know superficially all these ugly whatever flying around creatures they're the real monsters Mm -hmm. but what they bring up is maybe or maybe not maybe it's you know in the in the episode series starts to question am i a monster will will uh gerald come after me 
Um, right, right. So that's because, a very deep and interesting, um, you know, theme to consider. Because the Bruxa, after she's she she gets beheaded, she says that to Siri, or maybe Siri imagines it. She says to her, "He's going to come for you," which I think is a yeah. bit of foreshadowing for maybe season three or beyond. Um, yeah, I I think um, that's one of the good things about The Witcher is this like it's a different take on all the classical storylines because this this thing was very beauty and the beast with the in the pilot episode with Nivellen and the Bruxa, kind of like this really dark take on beauty and the beast which is kind of bizarre because technically both of them are actually beasts um but um yeah it's a great point you bring up Matt. like um fantastic fantastic writing fantastic imagination from the author to you know, to kind of put different perspectives on uh, widely accepted tales. And yeah, I think you're right. I think it plays plays well to creating sort of a unique universe in which The Witcher exists. Because one of the things I find, like it, it becomes tiresome to watch a lot of these fantasy drama or fantasy like magical TV series and stuff is all the themes are kind of like regenerated, you know, like you have the King Arthur, King, King, like the Arthurian tales kind of mold, you know, oh, uh, a hero will rise and pull out a sword or an artifact of great power, blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like, okay, I've heard this, or it's the Lord of the Rings um, format, you know? Yeah. Make yeah. There's, team. yeah. There's not a lot of, Originality, uh, originality, and, and fantasy, go. unfortunately, but the the Witcher seems to be mm-hmm. one where you know they're looking at different angles. It's not the whole you know repeating the same ideas all over again, which I really like. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's it's got its own. It's holding its own very well against um, all the all the great things that have come before it. You know, and um, I think I think it's also to do with the format, mate. Like, if it was a movie maybe it would not have been it wouldn't have been as well received as the show because you know with the show you get a little bit more time to tell your story you get time to do things a little bit better maybe you don't have the budget of a big blockbuster fantasy movie but we've seen you know big blockbuster fantasy movies fail miserably and there's like no end to um, to the line but yeah i i like the i like the the universe in which the Witcher exists, it seems fresh, you know, it doesn't seem um, the road of, you know, the, the road uh, more traveled such as it were. So that's kind of cool about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So moving on, let's talk about um, what did you think about um, the Kier Morin um, scenes? Oh, so, mate. yeah. <laughs> so just to set it up, um, uh, Gerald, uh, or is it Gerald or Gerald? Gerald. Gerald of Rivia. Uh, Gerald. Okay. Uh, true. Uh, you know, noob fans here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Gerald takes uh, Siri to Kiermoran, which is the um, um, the main uh, keep or mm-hmm. you know, the Witcher's it? hideout, basically hideout uh, for for Witchers, where all the other Witchers are, and this is where we first see Vesemir, who is. Carol's um, kind of uh, master or um, overseer mentor, yeah. or mentor, and uh, and this is where you know Siri starts her training, 
where Geralt decides to train her um, to make her, you know, defend herself. And this is where she she starts to learn from him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, what did you think about that entire uh, setup and that um, that scene? Well, again, like um, it, it just seems like a very natural way to go about it. Like, yeah, OK, you have this young ward. She's coming into her power. You're not sure what power she has. And you're sort of her default guardian. So obviously you wouldn't, you know, take her on the road with you. You'd find a place to lie low for a bit, you know, and like. Um, yeah. And to recover, add to this, yeah. to add to this, so again, I was doing a bit of research. And so Kier Morin apparently was destroyed. So you see it all like dilapidated, right? Yeah. 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 So uh, if you read the books or whatever, you find out that. Um, witchers are becoming increasingly um, rare and mm. the rest of the populace doesn't like witchers. They really hate them. So what's, reason, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot of monsters left to hunt and witchers have uh, earned this bad reputation. Um, so what ends up happening is that there is like this um, riot, massive riot. Then they go like townsfolk, etc. go attack Kirmoran and destroy mm. it. And that's why it's all in this dilapidated state. And it's actually very hard to find. So if you read the books, it's apparently very hard to actually make your way there. There is right. no actually roads or whatever that lead up to it. So that's that's why it becomes kind of this perfect hiding spot because not even not a lot of people even know where the witchers have their main, you know, hideout or mm -hmm. main, uh, you know, gathering ground. So that's that's why it kind of becomes a perfect place to take uh, Siri, who is being hunted by everything, right? Yeah, and I kind of read that um, apparently there was um, sort of like a bridging um, anime movie or series. I think it was a movie um, between seasons one and two, which might actually also be on Netflix. I forget what it's called. Yeah, but um, that I think that explains what went on with uh, with Vesemir and how he came to train. Geralt and what happened at Kaer Morhen. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. Is, yeah, they yeah? show that. Apparently, yeah, I think that's where they kind of show what happened with Kaer Morhen, if I'm not yeah. uh, mistaken. And yeah, we definitely got to watch that. because yeah, I, I didn't have, know about it yeah. until like, yeah, until recently after I finished the series and you know, there was a talk of spin-offs. So I came to know about it through the... Yeah, uh, I'm definitely uh, craving more Witcher, Witcher content so yeah. I will be I will be checking that out for sure. Mate, it, it's it's I think it's good stuff. You know, like I love me a good, um, you know, sword and magic and and horses and castles. Um, you know, world and um, yeah, I'm, I've just been very very lucky to have uh, a few good offerings over the years, and I think Witcher definitely belongs in the in the better of the of the two categories. You know, which which has given us um, some good moments. And I think um, season two of The Witcher actually del delivered a lot of like, um, a lot of good moments in comparison to season one. Cause I kind of felt like season one was kind of hit and miss. You know, if you're, if you're easygoing or maybe you're a fan of the franchise, it's better for, you know, it's, it makes for better viewing. But if you're like serious and you want to get, sink your teeth into something for the long run, and if you don't know anything about it, but you plan to get into it later. It's a bit of a hard sell, but I mean, I think they did a great job with season two, like shot where I think they shot this mostly in the UK. Fantastic, like on location shooting. 
CGI not overdone, you know, like right on point. Um, good storylines, mate. Like I thought um, the conclusion of what what it is that Voltaith me or Deathless Mother is after was kind of kind of cool, you know, like yeah. so her thing. Um, eventually, it turns out that she uh, she was imprisoned by witchers, um, and she's seeking revenge against said witchers. Now, I'm not sure um, why the witchers kind of imprisoned her. Maybe something well, she's, she's a in monster. this anime. Well, she's well, a monster. We, and... But the Witcher series is teaching us not to take monsters at face value. So I'm kind of curious to watch the anime and maybe see, you know. Yeah, but I, the, yeah. What I would, the way I would push back is I don't think the witchers see it the same way. They're just like, like I see a monster and I want to go after it. Yeah, but you got to stop pushing back so much today. Like, Jesus, hell, man. Uh, (laughs) That's what I do. Just just aggro. But um, yeah, you know, I kind of joke the whole thing where in the end, it's not like, because her whole whole motive was kind of kept um, very shrouded in mystery up up until like the last couple of episodes, which I thought was very intriguing because like Fringilla's given in. So spoiler alert, Fringilla actually sells out to deathless mother as does francesca and and in the end it all turns out to be a huge trick because uh, they all get what they want for and and yennefer is actually struggling to make the choice she's on the verge of she can taste the chaos like she's within fingertips reach and you know she's deciding whether or not to to make the deal and the deal is basically she has to bring Siri to Voltaith Mare and so will she betray Geralt because she actually tricks Geralt and takes Siri in for herself and tries to deliver Siri to uh, Deathless Mother to kind of you know win back her power so it's really interesting seeing for me I think that was way more interesting than the Siri training part like yeah there were some good moments in there where you know, we see we see Siri learning to be a bit of a badass, but um, I think the far more intriguing part of this whole season was um, the deathless mother angle for me. So, yeah. yeah, I mean that that's the that's the main baddie, right? So that makes sense. What did you yeah. think about? Um, so they actually threw in a kind of a curveball, which apparently exists in the in the books. Is mm-hmm. they had this. Um, it was barely mentioned this love triangle thing happening with uh, Triss. Triss, by the way, let's just set up who Triss is. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Triss is like a mage that shows up uh, at Kier Morin to help uh, train um, uh, Siri. Siri, yeah. yeah. So to get her inner chaos going, and in in the midst of that, uh, and she was also uh, one of the mages that helped uh, fight uh, at the end of season one in the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's all kind of, um, uh, she has all these scars on her body. Yeah. And she has this one moment where she's like, uh, you know, asking oh, for yeah. Gerald um, to comfort her, et cetera. She so comes apparently, to him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and um, apparently this is a thing in the books where they have this uh, love triangle thing happening. So you'll probably, we'll probably see uh, more of it in season three. What do you think? Is this, is this an angle that you want to see developed or is this was a, like, uh, meh? Uh, I'm very uh, meh about this. Um, like I'm, I'm, I'm okay with um, male and female leads. Like if it's a good, solid story, um, I think 
realism definitely helps and like there's just been there's just been too much pressure on trying to make um you know couples or items happen in movies and tv and cinema and i'm just like you know it doesn't feel natural sometimes like if you have it happen as it were okay sure i can i can believe it you know in certain instances but does it always need to exist is is my thing and like come on okay we all know sex sells like uh, you put you know some gratuitous skin bearing scenes in game of thrones and the whole world is suddenly talking i get it i i get that that's how money is made and you know it is what it is but i'm i'm okay with not seeing this love triangle i'm okay with Geralt just having you know one love interest in the the whole will they won't they that's fine love triangles made like leave it leave it to you know jane austen and i don't know made all the rom-coms and stuff because i am not ready to see you know a bride of uh or bridesmaid of wengenberg or some bullshit like that in in my Geralt of rivia series like come okay, on. okay we have the grinch over here <laughs> um you know ruining christmas um no yeah um well, you want it? to you obviously want to see this because no, uh, no 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 so who no, is it made? like no, no, who, okay stop it who are you turning down are you turning down tris or are you turning down Yenna? No, i mean let, like, don't put words into my mouth first of all i'm not saying i want to see this i'm just okay. saying um if it's done properly etc and if it's part of the to me let's stay honest to the source material if it's in the books and it was done properly then yeah sure uh, Go for it, but I do, I do see where you're coming from. I generally think it can become cheesy and that's it, yeah, and you know detracts from the rest of the storyline. Uh, but maybe it's done properly in the books. I don't know. That's why I kind of brought it up. Is like, okay, this is something that I think comes from the books, if I'm not mistaken. And if they do it properly, then yeah, let's see it. But generally, it's a hard thing to pull off uh, correctly. Yeah, right. I mean, but it's very, it's very straightforward. Obviously, we can see. Um, Yennefer and Geralt have a very antagonizing relationship. Like their their energy is very antagonizing. Like they challenge each other. Whereas Triss and Geralt are way more zen and peaceful. Like if they were ever to become an item, I don't know if they do in the books. But um, you know, because Triss is Triss is nicer. She's not really doesn't seem to be after power. Doesn't have ulterior motives. Whereas Yennefer is like kind of ruthless. You know, like um, I have to say, actually, um, I really enjoyed. Um, Yennefer's like switch to this more ruthless character because we didn't see a lot of her like weaker side in season two it was just more like her doing whatever it takes to get power back and like again she was a bit of a badass and I I love you know that 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 drive from her where it's just like she's just like fuck this fuck that this is fuckery uh, marked out really hard to that stuff I'm like because like I don't know, fuckery is a word JP and I throw around all the time. Um, I think we heard it in the movie Spy uh, back a few years ago and it cracked yeah. up for months and it kind of became part of our lexicon. Um, so I was just, yeah, I marked out hard for that moment. I don't know if you remember it. She she says it. Oh yeah, I definitely remember it. It was, it was <laughs> hilarious. I can stop, stop laughing. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, mate, like... Um, so eventually, um, I think it's really cool that um, the Witchers figure out that. Um, so we also get a possession angle in this, by the way. Um, Deathless Mother takes control of. Uh, she escapes her prison because she tricked these three women into 
deals that obviously were designed more to her means because she manipulated events. So, you know, the, the deals would work out in her favor. And eventually, she, because of the pain and suffering those those deals cause or the collapsing of those deals cause, it ends up freeing her from her prison that the witchers had made the house on uh, basilisk legs and she she possesses siri yeah so yeah so what the the whole thing to understand with the deathless mother is her currency is fear like she Mm. gets stronger as there's more fear and suffering in the world and what ends up happening is that uh, uh, francesca's um a child gets killed right well she gets she gets pregnant miraculously well, yeah, she gets pregnant, but then when she gives birth, uh, the child gets ends up getting murdered, right? By and that, whom we don't know. So yeah, well, that, yeah, that's, so that's not revealed yet. So that gets yeah. revealed at the end. We'll get to that. But that when Francesca's child dies, and then she goes on this uh, massive genocide, page, essentially, yeah. genocide, essentially killing off all the human children in her wake, that gives. Uh, the power or that really invigorates the deathless mother and gives her the fear and the anger and the suffering that she needs to be able to escape. Right. Right. And um, I think there's a really cool scene um, with Fringilla's deal where she kind of poisons um, all the people opposing her standing in her way between her and the power she, or the position she of authority she craves, where she poisons them with, um, I think, nightshade. But I was kind of, um, I thought it was a very cold scene. So basically, they drink the beer that's poisoned with um, nightshade at a feast, and they all kind of become statues, if that's a word, but like not stone statues. They just freeze in place, and she brutally, you know, stabs and like kills all of them. Um, really really cold-blooded but i don't know mate like i kind of felt like they could have done that scene a little bit better um i just felt like it was a little um caricature-ish you know because i don't think like that's how nightshade would like it wouldn't turn you into a statue you haven't fucking looked at medusa right like yeah you i don't know. just become sort of like immobile and you could it was a paralytic paralyzed. right like they're paralyzed yeah, but like para, 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 natural paralytics don't like stop you in your motion. <laughs> yeah, we I mean, had these guys like like statues around the table. It was kind of funny to me. I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I get yeah. what you're trying to do, but it just it's making me snicker a little bit. I'm like, that's not how it works. Yeah, maybe they should have had them fall to the ground or something. I don't know. Or just yeah, become immobile because um, other than that, I think that was a great scene. I was like, oof, that's 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 chilling mate that is absolutely like horrific yeah i mean generally i like the scene uh, i like the scene it was yeah. uh, it was very cold-blooded and really yeah. showed the um the ambition that that fragilla had and like yeah, she was she's she willing to do back. anything anything to to get the power that she wants but you know we get a good twist in the end of that scene as well where kahir um who has been sort of like you know, presumed um, Miss MIA after the Battle of Sodden, um, he resurfaces back. Um, this is um, so. Wait, he ref- um, Fringilla. Where does he meet Fringilla? It's it's a Nilfgaard. Yeah. So you're talking about the he's the prisoner, right? So the mages yeah, yeah, yeah. and the North had him imprisoned. Yeah. And the step and going back a bit, 
Yennefer, when she comes back, so when Yennefer gets um, uh, leaves uh, Francesca and Fragilla, and they go on their separate paths. Yeah. So Francesca and Fragilla come to um, uh, go together, and they form an alliance. Um, they go to uh, what's the northern city that they captured? What's that called? Uh, not a clue, mate. Um, Forget it. It's not. It's not Centria. Uh, yeah, yeah, Centria. Yeah. So they go back to Centria, right? Um, and then Yennefer goes and goes back to the mage order and they suspect that she's actually a double agent, that she's, um, um, betrayed them and yeah. to prove her loyalty, uh, they ask her to, um, to kill, um, this guy, um, what's his name? Kahir. Kahir. So there's a whole scene where she's about to you know, execute, execute him, him yeah. but, uh, she decides not to, and she escapes with them and then they escape. Uh, and then eventually they get separated, uh, on this boat or whatever. Uh, we should mention, we also see the bard at yeah. that point. Let's talk about Gerald's that bard. Friend, yeah. Um, Yasir, right? Uh, Yaskir. Yes. Yaskir. Man, these names are hard to remember. <laughs> but uh, we're going to get hammered in the comments. Yeah, for no. not getting well, We're noobs right here, right man. Now. We're noobs here. Uh, cut just, us some slack. Steal yourself. <laughs> um, and, Drink some elixir. Yeah, oh, I've been drinking pl pl plenty of elixir here. <laughs> uh, my own kind. Um, mm. But yeah, so that's where he kind of escapes back to um, to Fragilla and uh, meets. Yeah. Uh, they don't actually go back to Nilfgaard. So remember that Nilfgaard has taken over this, the Northern Kingdom, right? Or, yeah, and, one of the cities, I guess. You're right. Uh, Ciri's uh, hometown. Yeah, yeah, Sintria. Sintria. Sintra, so they act there. This whole thing is playing out in Sintria because Nilfgaard has overtaken it. And so he returns there and he regains his seat as like a captain in the army of Nilfgaard. And that's when they meet up and kind of start to um, yeah. work but together. He, but he's all, he's kind of in, in the, in the, in the order. He's, he's ahead in the pecking order of, uh, ahead of fringilla so fringilla needs to get him out of the way or... i don't know if that's made clear oh it absolutely is w weren't you watching <laughs> i think i was they had like um, a lot of competition between those two and yeah i mean they're they're competing yeah um very much so to gain the um you know to gain an upper hand i guess or right. gain the approval of the emperor right uh, but then in the end they do end up forming this kind of pact right yeah, because because like against all odds, she kind of spares him, which I thought, oh, this is Kahir's done for. Because, you know, Kahir was the Black Knight of season one that was chasing after Ciri um, on instructions from the Emperor, I, I believe, or I, I don't know if that's made clear. I haven't watched a uh, series one in a long time, the way it's been like a couple of years. So forgive me for um, blacking out on details, but... Um, yeah, like I was actually, were you shocked that she let Kahir live in that um, sort of like coup attempt? Not not coup, but like the the cleaning house at the banquet with the poison nightshade beer. Did you, were you shocked? No, I mean, I think there was. You saw I've, that comment? I've, there was some scene where they're kind of talking mm -hmm. and they're colluding. And he, yeah. he does say that you need me or something like that, right? I'm, I'm right. forgetting now what that specific thing was. Yeah, yeah, but that I think that's why she lets him live. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, she basically makes him her bitch because she says, "Okay, now when the Amir is gonna arrive in a in a couple of days, you're going to like sing my praises 
if not i'll poison you and just gut you like a fish again and i think here kind of understands like fucking hell she's she's serious uh let's not fuck with her so i thought that was a good turn for the fringilla character because you know she's shown to just be at the cusp of greatness but then you know she makes good on her promise to voltaith mir but again as we find out the promise that voltaith mir told her like if you do these steps you'll get power was a hollow one because in the end when the emperor does show up surprise surprise who do we see jp so it ends up being actually uh, uh, Siri's uh, father, uh, her dad. Who was, so, yeah, who was presumed who we, dead. <laughs> who we thought was dead, but he, he's actually been alive all this time. And he's also one of the people that's after Siri. Uh, and, and he wants his daughter back. Anymore. And he's not cursed anymore because I think he was like cursed to be like a, a, a porcupine or something. Porcupine. I think that curse was even um, gone even when we see uh, we see him in season one right yeah it was lifted yeah yeah so it gets lifted and see i think what happens is uh series mother kisses him or something and the curse gets lifted yeah um like classic retelling or not retelling but another alternate take on classic you know fairy tale i guess yeah um so that was a good twist um, so it will, it'll be very interesting. I'm sure this will uh, kind of continue in season three. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens um, with uh, with this character because he's obviously... And so yeah, and the other thing that's revealed is that uh, he's yeah. the one he's the one that ordered the killing of um, Francesca's um, child. Yeah. So Frigilla we, we actually... Know who did the killing, but... Yeah, we don't... I, I'm, I'm going to assume it's some sort of henchman. They don't really say. Maybe okay. it's some main character. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, the, the thing to note is that Frigilla wanted to claim that as her own thing and claim it as this one thing that she did. Um, but, but it yeah. turns out uh, he's the one that ordered it. So he, he catches her on that. Um, yeah. So that'll be an interesting thing to look into. Yeah. And um, he actually um, dismisses Frigilla and Kahir. Like they get, I think they, they get imprisoned at the end of his arrival. There's a lot of stuff that goes yeah. down at the end of this. Um, yeah, I'm blanking on that season. one. Uh, but yeah, he he has them take he has them ordered uh, taken away. So that was Voltethmir's thing that she knew like Fringilla would never get power because of who's pulling her strings, um, the Emir and um, yeah, um, mm-hmm. Fringilla yeah. and Kahir get uh, imprisoned back to square one. Yeah, so and more suffering. Yeah, yeah, more suffering. And on the other side, in the meanwhile. Siri and the witchers are fighting um, the deathless mother, right? Well, Voltaire they're Mir. fighting. Um, a they're fighting Siri, a, a possessed Siri, yeah. which is being possessed by the deathless mother. In the witchers, in in Caramoran. In Caramoran, and oh yeah, let's talk about the monoliths. We haven't really mentioned the monoliths, which play a big role. Oh my god, yeah. I honestly, mate, you you're gonna have to like refresh my memory on that because I have no recollection of like the monolith being a big part of season one i think so it's it's not a big like, part right it's okay. very subtle uh, they subtly okay. show at the end of season one when uh kafir is um chasing siri uh the dark knight um oh, not, not batman the dark knight <laughs> i'm gonna call him the dark knight um the black knight yeah the black knight here yeah um so and then she screams which is supposedly one of her powers and she ends up destroying a monolith that's nearby and um 
And so that's kind of like whatever. And season one, nobody really notices, unless maybe you've read the books or something. I certainly didn't take uh, take much note of that. But in season two, that becomes a big deal because we learn that um, these supposedly through these monoliths, um, a bunch of uh, monsters are coming through mm-hmm. uh, some sort of portal, and um, and they're after Siri. So you'll see um, in one of the episodes that Gerald is fighting off these uh, bunch of monsters that are directly targeting Siri. Um, and they, they continue to come through. And what you in the final fight scene, what ends up happening is um, that the tree, the, the, the Witcher tree actually yeah. um, engulfs a, um, a monolith within it. So the Deathless Mother actually reveals that and she uses Ciri's power to destroy the monolith. And that opens up a gateway, a portal to let all these, um, you know, massive monsters out and they start to fight. Uh, They start to help the Deathless Mother fight uh, the witchers, which are in the room. Um, So we see all these, um, what are they, basilisks come out. Yeah, these like weird dinosaur type, like T-Rex type. Yeah, and you get you get one of those like uh, Jurassic Park moments where you see the the massive foot uh, come down, the water shaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so it's basically implied that G- Geralt didn't know this, but Vesemir apparently did. Um, that the Witchers were actually hiding the monolith behind the tree, and they were the ones who were kind of responsible for sending monsters out to further their own profits. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. Maybe you're right. I'm not sure about that one. Um, the one thing to note is, uh, so we got to talk about um, the world that the Witcher lives in. It's called the continent. Yeah. And they they go back and explain uh, how the continent was even formed. There was this, um, this crashing of uh, worlds where um, portals and voids were opened and other... So between between worlds and um, you know entities from other worlds streamed in to this world, and that's how actually the humans came to the continent. So they weren't the first inhabitants, as we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So they came to um, to the continent when this uh, this event happened, and um, the crashing of worlds event. I'm forgetting the name of the event, and with them came all these monsters. Uh, so that's how these monsters, again, they're not from this world. That's how they entered this world. And that's when uh, the humans decided to, you know, form this, this, um, this witcher um, system right. to, to fight, fight against these monsters. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very complicated. I mean, it definitely helps uh, to understand it. We were kind of confused. I was kind of confused uh, about this. I had to read up, uh, up on it a bit. And I still, I'm not still sure that I fully understand it. I'm sure I made some mistakes and yeah, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if somebody could give us like a simplified, like cliff notes version of um, what that was all about, because that's, that's what I got out of it is that um, the, the witchers were kind of hiding a secret and um, that, that's what Voltithmir um, this, apart from getting revenge, that's what she wanted to expose. Because I kind of looked like Geralt was kind of shocked for a second when the monolith popped out. I know I was, because I was like, wait a second, why is there a monolith here? Because it doesn't make sense. And then I was like, huh. 
Okay. Because um, the Witcher tree is very prominent during the course of this season. Like you'll see it almost as much as you would see a character, like multiple, multiple, multiple times. Really, really interesting stuff. Yeah, it's 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 a prominent uh, piece in their in their hallway, right? In yeah. their main hall, and mm-hmm. that's that's kind of how they uh, mourn for their their lost brothers. Because again, there's not that many witchers left, so that's one way to mourn for them. Yeah, so, yeah. And, I mean, so what ends up happening is that yeah, so these uh, monsters come out. They you know the witchers fight back. They defeat the monsters, but in the end, what ends up happening is that. Uh, Yennefer points out that hey, this is not helping. We're not going to defeat her this way uh, because she, again, she strives. Uh, she gets stronger on fear and and uh, anger and all these emotions. Well, well, hang on, JP. No, it's not. It's not Yennefer, mate. It's Geralt who figures it out. Is it Geralt? Okay. Because um, Yennefer, not Yennefer. Um, no, it is Yennefer. Yennefer gives Yaskier some kind of stone. Yeah. Something yeah. about balance and stuff, and Yaskier sort of doesn't get the stone to Geralt, but Geralt sees the stone when it flies out of Yaskier's hand and he kind of puts something together. And what Yennefer actually does is Yennefer actually offers up herself because Volteth Mir is, she's kind of like a spirit. She needs a host to survive, like a host body to survive. So uh, I think Yennefer actually offers herself up um, as the host. Yeah, the point being, stop fighting her. Just you've got to take a different approach. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she offers herself. She cuts her wrists, and she's like, "Yeah, d- take my body instead." Yeah, and because that's what she saw in her vision in her initial encounter with um, with the deathless mother in the in in the pilot and not in the pilot, but in the first episode. Yeah, the other thing we I think we kind of glossed over, we forgot to mention, is that in while. Uh, the deathless mother has overtaken Siri, has uh, kind of engulfed her. There's, um, we see oh, yeah. Siri uh, in this like dreamlike world where she's gone back home, and her grandmothers are alive, and her, you know, her protector is alive, um, and her parents are alive, and she's having this great grand, you know, party feast. Yeah, yeah. Which we actually see in season one. Season one, that's right. Yeah, and she's you know enjoying herself. Yeah, so like Voltaire Mir has her plugged into this like dream state where everything is absolutely uh, ideal and she doesn't need to worry about anything. While the death it's uh, it's her own her it's her own version of the Matrix. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and then while this is happening, Gerald is trying to get her out of this, and because the only way to get her back is she has to realize that hey, this is this is fake. Right. Um, and then eventually that <laughs> does happen. And you see um, like this um, uh, Marvel-like moment, uh, Endgames type of moment where everything, oh, yeah. <laughs> like Thanos <laughs> moment snap. where the snap happens and they all get disintegrated into dust, except for uh, Siri's father, uh, which is actually a giveaway, um, which actually I missed. Um is a giveaway that he's still alive because everybody that's dead gets uh, disintegrated. Ah, right? okay. I missed that too. Must have been subtle. Yeah, it was very subtle. Was, you see it for a second. I, I missed it uh, when I was watching it, but then I was watching what some review or something and they pointed that out. Hey, this is an Easter egg you missed. Ah. And yeah, he's, he doesn't disintegrate. He's still there. Um, and then, you know, you find out that he's, he's still alive. Um, 
but that's that's how she kind of comes back she realizes this is fake she comes back and i think they work together to uh, and the series opens a portal and right. they go to this other world um, and they take um um the deathless yeah, mother right. and yennefer who's housing yeah. the deathless mother now and they take her to this to they actually take her to her home world apparently and that's right. where she decides to um leave yennefer because that that was her ultimate goal that she wanted to return to her home world because she's not from this world from the continent um okay. so she's looking for a way to get back in but she needs to embody uh some sort of host to, um to to get there and and yeah so the siri opens siri opens up a portal and they go to this uh new world and that's when the deathless mother escapes and we also get to see um what are they called these horsemen um, ah the wild hunt the wild hunt so that apparently is going to be a future um baddie a future next season yeah maybe in the next season yeah uh supposedly they're a big deal it's kind of like the horsemen of the apocalypse isn't it yeah yeah kind of the rates from lord of the Rings, something like that yeah very much in that mold so you know excited to see where they're going to take that yeah um and jp just um just one thing we didn't talk about this a lot because i think it was just it kind of whizzed by so quickly but we are introduced to a couple of other new characters so um I'm not sure if it's the Brotherhood, but um, there is this other faction. So we mentioned about five or six factions trying to get a hold of Siri, but um, there is this other faction, this like very shady fire mage faction, I would say, that's trying to also get a hold of Siri. They spring this. I think maybe this this character was in season one. I can't remember. It's this long-haired, skinny dude um who's a fire mage who's yeah. a well-known fire mage that's in prison they spring him from prison and they kind of send him to collect siri and bring him back to their quote-unquote shady master who is again just hinted upon we never see him that's one and then there's a um there's there's a i think it's Nilf- nilfgaard there's some nilfgaard angle with this snow owl it's um, not Nilfgaard. I think that's in the northern, the northern King, kingdom. Kings, okay. yeah, yeah. But I know this, what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. So we see this woman, or this like, I guess, I guess she's also a mage who can turn into an owl, influencing events behind the scenes, um, using one of her pawns, who's very high up with um, the king, which is kind of interesting as well. And they allude to the bard paying his debt, which is a big big um foreshadowing line for uh, Yaskir's character yeah so yeah they i think they're again this is all set up for season three i think we'll see more of it's these a lot going on yeah <laughs> we're gonna see more of these machinations behind the scenes machinations this, this this politics kind of game of thrones style in season three is, is my expectation uh so we'll get to learn again it's not yeah. all revealed so we're all I'm I'm confused. I don't know because I haven't read the books and et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's all interesting. We'll get to see who these characters are, what their true motivations are mm-hmm. more, or get to learn more about them more in the next season, which I can't wait for. Um, but, um yeah, yeah, I mean, mate, overall just just been fantastic. Um very, very entertaining and very intriguing season two of The Witcher. Um, just overall, um, I think they've gone up a tier in terms of their final product. 
um, good acting, very good general presentation, very good CGI, really nice, um, as you said, expansion of the lore and the world, some good some good new characters being introduced. And um, yeah, mate, like you said, um, looking forward to the next series whenever that happens. I really hope they don't rush it though. Like just take your time. I don't care if you don't release it in the next six months. Just keep the quality level high. Is uh, You'll find that uh, a theme with me and um, Doc JP over here is where we, we don't mind you taking your time, but release good content when you do. Yeah, I have to fight. I mean, if I'm being honest, I have to fight myself because I'm like, yeah. I really, really want to see the next season because you just <laughs> finished it. Right? You're in in that, uh, in in that world. Yeah. So you desperately, as a fan, you desperately want to see the next season. But yeah. I understand the movie making or the you know TV making process, and it takes time to takes time, diligence, research, um, experience yeah. to make this these type of uh, tv shows so yeah. i'm more than willing to wait to get a quality output um, yeah we don't we don't want anything like game of thrones season eight happening ever again mate like oh god just oh, don't get me started there no i'm just saying like i think that's what happens when you rush things you know and you get or or like the fucking matrix uh movies when you get way too you know up the ass of your own product and think you can do no wrong just and just ruins. release everything quickly. No, good. it just it just ruins all your previous work, right? Yeah. Like Game of Thrones is such a classic example. Like oh the first few seasons were so amazing, and then they rushed yeah. it, and it kind of detracts from <laughs> the, your previous work, which was so amazing. Mate, I mean, isn't it possible? I'm I am convinced beyond beyond a shadow of a doubt. The amount of pain and suffering season eight of fucking Game of Thrones caused. There's a Voltaith mirror that got liberated from her chicken hut somewhere in sure. the yeah, no, maybe wilderness. a couple. Yeah, and she's flying around, you know, doing her thing. Like that was the amount of outpouring I felt after Game of Thrones season eight. I had like long ago decided like I'm not gonna keep my expectations very high from Game of Thrones because like I thought they were coming out with the seasons and the, they were progressing far too quickly. And they were going to catch up to the books in a matter of minutes. And I was just like, all right. Well, you can't blame them. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, like the books are also, I mean, I love quality, take your time stuff, but the books yeah. uh, are taking They're way huge. too much time. Yeah. Like it's been a decade since the last book came out, which is a bit too much in my, in my estimation. Um, Wait, somebody, somebody make, uh, somebody introduce uh, George to a bloody espresso machine. Well, I, yeah, let's not get into that. I mean, like there, we could we could have a whole episode on why it's taking too long for the next Game of Thrones to come out. Damn it, George, I need this. Yeah, I know. I'm dying over here. Uh, well, uh, yeah, mate. Um, but good talk about um, The Witcher. Um, so uh, listeners, let us know in the comments uh, or, or on our Twitter, um, which is, I think, at DivCast. Yep. Uh, J JP, you remember it better than I do. Maybe. It's at Diffcast, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, you know, feel free to tweet at us and uh, leave comments on YouTube and, and in the uh, in the podcast forums where you get your podcasts. Uh, let us know what you thought of um, The Witcher Season 2, uh, how it compared to the previous seasons, any other thoughts you might have, any interesting and, and tell us information. And tell us where we were wrong, because I'm sure we made some mistakes here. <laughs> oh, we're going to get slow trade about yeah. that whole... Uh, no, bring it, bring thing. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's what that's what the internet is about, right? So I want to hear it. Uh, but yeah, overall, uh, loved it. 
uh, can't really complain. Uh, can't wait for the next yeah, season. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, we're also going to uh, try and be thematic uh, for the next couple of uh, movie reviews. So there's some interesting things lined up. Uh, stay tuned to the Differential Podcast and we will speak to you guys later. Uh, as always, I've been Mr. AB and Doc JP has been here with me, mate. Uh, it was fun. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, we'll catch you later. All right. Have a good one.